Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Teps Pornchai. Well, brothers, always, it's uh, good to be back with you this week, and uh, especially as we close our series, which I think we've gone 11 or 12 episodes on the Ten Commandments. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a good series, and I think, um, if nothing else, this has highlighted the fact that God's righteous standard stays the same, um, even though we know that we are no longer held to the penalty of the law. Jesus Christ is the one that uh, that bore that penalty on the cross. Um, but we recognize that the, especially the moral standards that we see set forth by the Ten Commandments, they're still in effect to today, and and they they are a guidepost. They're they're like a lamp to our feet in terms of um, the moral issues of today and how we make decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And let, let's jump right in today. So we're on the 10th commandment, the, the the last one. So if you're in your Bibles, you can go to Exodus 20, we're in verse 17, it says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Well, this is an interesting commandment in light of our current culture. I know we've said that a few times, but our current culture really does kind of um, sort of focus in and promote more so than others, a few of these. And I think this is one that we probably both agree is promoted to the nth degree in various ways in our current culture. Yeah, we we live in a culture of uh, of coveting. In fact, um, you know, I'm one who defends um, capitalism over socialism, but there's no doubt capitalism breeds uh, this to a large degree. And and when we talk about coveting, I, I mean, this is this is not merely just admiring someone's home, right? I mean, this is not just uh, admir- merely admiring someone's car. Yeah. Um, but this is uh, really letting that take root in your heart as. As as you want that, um, you you want that rather than than what what they've got. You want that for yourself, and and it can become a controlling desire. It's really another form of idolatry, turning something in, into an idol in your life, and uh, allowing that lust and, and that greed to, to really drive you. And I mean, we can step through each one of those things and and tie them to some of the other commandments. I mean. You know, you shall yeah. not cover covet your neighbor's house or um, or anything that belongs to him. You know, that's uh, you shall not steal, right? I mean, when you start to desire something um, yeah. to to that degree, you're really stealing in the heart. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Well, that that's adultery in the heart when you start to start to let that go. And so, in in many ways, it, what's interesting about this command is that th- this is very much very clearly. Um, an issue of the heart, right? I mean, so yeah, uh, the other commands absolutely. you can argue, oh yeah, this is, I haven't murdered and this and that, and, and not until Jesus Christ brings the Sermon on the Mount does he provide greater clarification. But even in its original context, mm-hmm. everyone can look at that uh, that 10th commandment and know that this is an issue of the heart. Yeah, covetousness is the heart issue. Um, the stealing or the adultery is, uh, you know, merely that which is born out of it. Right. Yeah. And so it and, and, and it's an interesting commandment for us. And again, you know, we'll kind of talk through it a little bit uh, g- generically and then sort of hone in and talk about how believers are tempted the most in, in this area, because I do think 
like with many of the other ones, we have a lot of temptations that uh, in this yep. area that we may not even recognize, right? And, and we certainly would want to do that. But how big of a deal is covetousness? Um, well, well, you go to Ephesians 5, 5, and it says this, for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater, to your point, Eki, has yeah. an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ of God. Yeah. Um, it's a big deal, right? Uh, it, it, it's a significant issue. It's not a small, insignificant sin. And of course, um, we would agree there's no really such thing as a small sin. Some sins uh, certainly have different um, and more weighty worldly consequence. And you rightly said earlier, while we no longer as true believers bear the uh, eternal penalty of our sin, Christ has done that for us, we certainly can and do bear earthly consequence. And others um, can even suffer uh, because of our sin. And so we do have that as well, right? Um, but but we see, uh, you know, Paul mentioning this. And it's not the only time, right? You, you can find covetousness. Uh, some translations would translate covetousness as greed. Um, yeah. It's a form of greed, right? Um, and so we see this kind of all throughout Scripture. But let, let's just sort of start and kind of go through this list at the beginning, right? Because I think a lot of us would probably look at verse 17 and say, well, I, you know, I don't want to kick my neighbor out of his house. Yeah. Um, and so I'm good on that one. I, I don't covet my neighbor's wife, so I'm good on that one. You kind of, you know, who has uh, male and, and female servants these days, at least in our country? Um Although we do, we have maids yeah. and butlers still, mm -hmm. right? Anyway, let's just maybe go through those and kind of talk about uh, in our cultural context what how that how that might apply, what that might look like. I think that could be helpful for people, right? Yeah, um, sure. Because these commandments, uh, while they're given in the context of uh, the culture in in which they live, so that they could under really understand, um, it's still applicable for us today. They're communicating something more than just. Um, it, whether you want your neighbor's ox, yeah, right? right? Like you said, it's really dealing with heart issues. Um, but so let, let's just go through these. So coveting your neighbor's house. What what are some, do we do that today? Um, oh, in, absolutely. In, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what, absolutely. What does that look like? Yeah, I, I think this is, um, you know, I, let me take a step back and, and think about Idolatry, because we've talked about how covetousness turns into idolatry. And we know that John Calvin said uh, the heart is basically an idol making factory, right? Yep. And uh, and then I believe it was Paul Tripp who, who said that um, an idol is anything, is really anything that you're willing to sin in order to obtain or anything that causes you to, to, to sin if you don't obtain it. Um, so when we talk about our neighbor's house, there, there can be easily instances where you're living on a block and uh, there's that one neighbor that's got more money than everyone else. He's able to not only have the nicest house, he can do the nicest rework. He, he can put all the, the, the nice, uh, kind of features on it and, and whatnot. And in one sense, it's easy to look at that and, and admire that and say, wow, that, that'd be a nice thing to have. And, and I don't think you've yet crossed that line yeah, into agree. covetousness yeah. um I, I think where you cross that line now is where it starts to become a sinful desire in your heart 
where you you start to um, even despise your neighbor for having that when you don't have it, right? Or you start to think in terms of um, of entitlement, how dare that person have it and, and not me? You know, or we start to compare ourselves saying, well, that person doesn't deserve that. I deserve that much more than they do. Mm. You know, that's when it starts to turn into the kind of covetousness and, and jealousy that that breeds um, the the idolatry of, of those things and those items. Um, there's, it, it, I'm, I'm, in the Asian culture, I've been exposed to all kinds of different cultures. And Look, every single culture, every part of the world, um, we're all sinners, all right? But that that sin kind of demonstrates itself in, in different ways. And I know of a certain Asian group that um, that that is known for being very materialistic more so than others. And, uh, and it's very common to find that a person lives in a very kind of rundown apartment, not even a house, but has like the most expensive car. And uh, they'll they'll label that as being house poor and car rich or something like that, and it's because they're they're trying to portray this kind of picture, right, um, to to the world. And, and we get caught up in that. We get caught up with trying to keep up with the Joneses, right? Yeah. We've heard that term. That that used to be a term that was um, used quite quite a whole lot. When someone gets something, you've got to get it too. And and so that's when um, looking at someone's home can turn into an idolatrous kind of covetous desire in your heart. When it starts to breed any kind of bitterness because you don't have it, or it causes you to start throwing your priorities out of whack in order to get it. Yeah. Yeah. L- listen to the words of Christ from Mark 7, 21, 23. He says, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and yeah. wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander. And he goes on to list several things. All of these things, he says, proceed from within and defile the man. And and, and to add to that, you think about the rich young ruler, right? I mean, so Jesus Christ meets the rich young ruler. The rich young mm-hmm. ruler mm-hmm. seems to have the perfect question. Well, what must I do to have eternal life or something, yeah. something very similar to that? And, and Jesus first cites the second half of the Ten Commandments, right? Well, you know the commandments, um, honor your father and mother, do not murder, do not commit adultery, so on and so forth. And he goes on to say, I've kept those things from my youth. And uh, then Jesus says, well, then do this, uh, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then follow me. And a lot of people have taken that to wrongly um, place this requirement that all Christians must must sell everything they have right. and give it to the poor. Um, what Jesus was doing was was really revealing the covetousness of his heart, the greed for his own belongings, because he was willing to um, do whatever it took as long as he didn't have to give up his own stuff, which yeah. meant that he actually he actually liked his stuff more than than he liked the idea of having eternal life um, by following Christ. Yeah. And it's a similar idea to. Um, 1 Timothy 6.17, when Paul tells Timothy, instruct those who are rich in this current world not to put their hope upon the uncertainty of riches, but upon God who richly provides all things for us to enjoy. That was not um, that, that was not a condemnation for being rich, but it was a warning not to put all of your hope into riches. So even if you're the one with all the, you know, the nice bells and whistles and the nicest house on the block, you could still be guilty of this just by putting more of your hope into that um than than into following god yeah absolutely and the the rich young ruler is really such a rich story to depict that and you're right we do see people all the time kind of throw that out as a sort of ha i got you uh do do you own anything well right that's not the point um and and it's interesting because you're right and 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 i what i find particularly interesting about the story is the rich young ruler recognized Jesus as someone to ask and get the right answer, he clearly had a desire 
to know the answer and yeah. to to want to partake in eternal life, right? I mean that that's that's implicit in it, just in the whole conversation, um, and yet his wealth was more important than eternal life to him, right? Right. And, and, and by the way, shocking. yeah, and, yeah, that's right. And by the way, for those that are wondering, well, why wouldn't we make that the standard for all Christians? Well, it's ridiculous because first of all, you can't even take offerings from Christians if they have given up everything. And and second, even when you think about um, how churches started, we we know everyone knows um, early on in church history, church um, churches started by meeting in homes. Well, how how would they have a home to meet in if they had sold everything, right? Yeah. So it's ridiculous to have this notion that uh, that a Christian must give everything. Uh, a lot of what you see in the rest of the New Testament would be um, completely impractical and, and impossible if if that were the case that you were supposed to give everything. Yeah, Ephesians 4, uh, 28, Paul gives a command that Christians work hard, labor hard, so that they will have extra in order to give to those who are in need. So you couldn't even just be obedient to scripture. If right, that were right. the standard, right? Yeah, and and those in need start first and foremost with those in the body of Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so the the coveting is it, you touched on it a little bit here, and we're going to kind of get to how that plays out. I think predominantly in our culture, um, but let's just kind of continue through this list here. And by the way, when we talk about it's not about the house. We're just trying to make some connections and bring it into a modern context, right? Yeah. Um, but it, you know, we do this in other ways, and even I, I would say one way that people in ministry are in danger of this is looking at uh, another house of God. Yeah. Um, right. And right. and sort of being jealous uh, of another person's ministry, and I'd like to uh, say that this never happens uh, amongst ministers, but it's just not true uh, because we're human too. It ought not to be the case, um, but but that's another way that we kind of see this, right? You see a a church or even church members. I've heard you know church members who uh, sort of long to be like the church down the road that has X number of people or yeah. X number of you know, uh, gadgets or things in their church. Um, and ultimately what we're going to come down to is this all boils down to the lack of contentment. Right. And, and I think that's the best way to deal with covetousness is to learn the art of being content. Right. Um, and, and we'll, we'll, and we'll come to that. So, but it's interesting. There's an order here in, in this commandment, we see, uh, the house listed, uh, and then we see the wife. Now, this is an interesting yeah. one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how how would we covet? How would someone covet another person's wife? Well, you know, the immediate thing, uh, the immediate thing that would come to mind would be adultery, right? right. That is um, a, a a a fully blown, played out act of covetousness that began in the heart, right? Um, but what are some other ways? Do you think? Um, this might happen. Well, and and this is not just the neighbor's wife. It could be the neighbor's husband, right? On the part of the the, the wife of one house desiring the husband of another. Um, This is- uh, That's a good point, yeah. Yeah, and this is why adultery is, um, is so widespread. Um, why divorce is such uh, such a, such the norm, and even within the Christian church, um, I do come across a lot of people um, who want to get a divorce because of infidelity. Um, but th- this is not merely just your neighbor. This is, you know, the um, when you pick up magazines, when you look at pictures, when you're watching uh, TV shows or, or movies, and and people um, who are already in a married relationship um, are portraying themselves in ways that are intended to portray themselves as sex objects. Right. And, um, and, and really the, 
that's part of the whole sales process. You know, you, mm-hmm. you the more desirable an actor or an actress is, the more people want to watch that actor or actress, and and the more this this kind of covetousness um, goes goes up, and and people even put posters um, of um, of women or men who are already in married relationships, and so th- this coveting um, goes goes really to not just your neighbor, but it stretches into the reaches of of entertainment, um, advertising, um, any kind of images that. Um, are are portrayed before you, and and it's a shame when um, when people willingly really kind of make themselves into this or allow themselves to be this when really it should be mm-hmm. their spouse who has the exclusive uh, the exclusive rights to be able to see and to be able to enjoy all that God yeah. has provided through you. Yeah, I mean, I think we could really say anytime there's lust, y- y- you're guilty of coveting. Yes. Um, and, and, and I think the point is it again, as you rightfully say, it's not just a wife. It's really coveting relationship with someone other than your wife yeah. or your husband. Um, and that's what you do when, you know, you're viewing things you ought not to be viewing. Uh, when there's lust involved, effectively, what you're saying is I want this other thing um, I, because I'm not satisfied with my own husband, my own wife. Right, right. Um, and so you're coveting something different and it's just always interesting that rarely does a sin ever um is a sin ever confined to itself right it's always a multiplicity of sins in these things yeah um because there's covetousness there's lust there's all these other things a form of greed in fact um yeah and so those are some of the ways that we do that and and it's very sad um, but we could do it in other ways than just in sexual ways. And, and I want to make that point, too, because, um, it, you know, occasionally we hear these things about uh, we, we hear the phrase an emotional affair. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like that term uh, because I, I think affair is relegated to something specific. Um, it certainly is sinful. However, um, yeah. it is covetousness. It it. Yeah. You know, um, it's just not necessarily sexual in orientation. But, it, you know, when you start to um, look at someone else's spouse, for instance, and even think and maybe if that's not the case and just think, I wish my spouse was like that. Yeah. And that becomes yeah. a deeply rooted thing. You're guilty of this. Right. Yes. Covening yes. another man's spouse. Well, and uh, that turns it that when you say deeply rooted, uh, you're absolutely right. That turns into bitterness. Right. I mean, if, if your spouse is not yeah. like the way this other spouse that you want your spouse to be like, it starts to turn into bitterness and you start to create additional obstacles for a successful marriage. Um, even if you're not being unfaithful, uh, you know, even if you're not pursuing that covetousness and not, not allowing it to turn into actual actions. Um, I would argue it, it ends up turning into uh, really a roadblock to to really bringing reconciliation and, and growth within your own marriage. Yeah. So that's one way that, um, you know, people can find themselves guilty of this without ever engaging in a a sexual sin. Right. Just wishing that, um, you know, your spouse was more like this person. And once that becomes something, look, I I I don't think it's a that thought comes into your mind. We understand that these things can happen and there's a right way to do that we're told to take every thought captive you take that thought captive you put it out of your mind you know um and 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 i think that's if that ends there then that's fine but when you start dwelling on that um that's a sure sign right that you've crossed that line and it doesn't even have to be someone else's spouse right Mm -hmm. it's when you're not um it, it can be done with children 
right? You have children, you see another family in the church, you think their children are more well-behaved, you start dwelling on that and wishing that your children were more like them. You've coveted someone else's children, someone else's family. Um, And I think those are the ways that probably most believers would be more tempted by Satan to um, cross the line uh, than some of the other ways that we see obviously the 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 world has no boundaries whatsoever um but i think it's these more subtle ways where it's not that we uh long to um be in a relationship other than our spouse but maybe we just start to um wish they were someone different right than who they are um and we would still be guilty of this commandment and i think those are the ways we have to guard our hearts against this um it's those subtle ways right that uh, Satan's clever and sin is clever. Um, it's those subtle ways for most Christians that get us. It's not most often uh, the the big outright right. things. Yeah, and I've even seen um, in counseling people who were um, really riddled with guilt and shame, really over their own past things that they've done, and they wish they were with some with someone else. They they would look at someone and say, "I wish I, I had the upbringing that that person had, or I wish I was just I had the gifts and talents uh, of that person." Right. And, and they end up, and it's one thing, again, it's one thing to admire the, the gifts and talents that God has given to another person. Um, that by itself has not made you guilty of this. Um, but it's when you, you start to, um, let it run your life and, and wreck your, your, your life and, and what God's call for you is when people are riddled with this kind of guilt or, or shame. Um, they, they really, um, it ends up becoming a, an obstacle to their own obedience to God. And as we're talking about <clears throat> the example that you brought up where a spouse, uh, may look at uh, someone else's spouse and say, "Wow, well, I wish my husband or my wife was was more like that person." Well, we think of like, for instance, First Peter chapter three, when Peter instructs uh, wives of unbelieving husbands, right? Um, he, what's what's the instruction there? Win them over by mm-hmm. by the inward beauty uh, of your uh, of your walk, you know. Yep. So your your focus still must be upon glorifying God in that relationship because you never know what God is going to do through you for that husband. And I have seen and heard so many testimonies and i know you have too nathaniel where a a couple one of them becomes saved the other one has no interest in becoming saved but because the one that becomes saved ends up becoming sanctified becomes a better partner a better spouse then suddenly the other side is now more drawn to that and in fact um Lee Strobel, the one that has written those series of books, A Case for Christ and all that, he had both. A, he has both a legal background as, a, as well as a journalistic background. He was a hardcore atheist. Um, and, and it was funny because I'm reading this article and he's making a defense of apologetics, right? Because that's how he kind of came to the faith. But really, if you read his life story, it wasn't just his research into Christianity. It actually started with his wife coming to the faith first. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, when he, and he even says when his wife first came to faith, his immediate thought was, this is not going to work. We're going to have to get a divorce. But then as he started to see the fruit of her faith, then he started to become more open to it until he was until he agreed to go ahead and, and listen to a sermon. And then upon listening to that sermon, that's what caused him to say, you know what? If what that pastor says is true, um, there are some huge implications here. I need to research it. My point is this. Um, as I read this article, which is making a case for apologetics, that the real case here that was being made before the apologetics was was the walk of of his own wife. And so if his wife had uh, had had started off her Christian walk wishing that she had a Christian husband, these things might never have happened. Yeah. But rather she focused upon just following and, and to obeying the word of God. And then what happened, he ends up becoming a convert and then a defender of the faith. Yeah. I mean, that's an incredible story. And there are lots of them out there. 
Yeah, right? there are. Um, and, and so we really do have to guard our hearts um, in, in not only just making sure we don't desire someone else's spouse sexually, certainly we, we don't want to do that, but not even that we wish our spouse had their same personality temperament, uh, the right. way they do things, yeah. um, mm-hmm. equally as sinful and equally violating this commandment. Well, we, we go on and he mentioned servants. I, I mean, it's a, the reason I like to do this is because what we see by the time we get through just all of this is that it covers every it's single everything. possibility. <laughs> everything, yep. right? I mean, these are just uh, four or five items that are represent representative of everything a person could possibly have or own, yeah. or it, you know. Um, but it, you know, we don't. Most people don't have servants today, right? right. Most people right. don't have maid services and and butlers and things like that. We do obviously have that still in existence. Um, but I think it, when I think of this. This category, you know what I think of? I think of just those things and amenities in life that make our life easier. Yes, gadgets, yes, exactly, right? Exactly. Um, things that bring a little more comfort. Uh, mm-hmm. may, maybe it's the hot tub. Maybe it's you know whatever it is. Right. Um, and then when we start thinking of that, you're like, okay, n- yeah, maybe there's a lot of covetousness going on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the latest iPhone, the latest yeah. tablet, right? The latest, and and you know, to be frank, I have been guilty of this myself at times. Yeah. Um. You know, planning a church in Alaska, you, you're you're living a, kind of the missionary type uh, of life with all that comes with that, and this newest latest gadget comes out, and everyone's got it, yeah. and you're thinking, wow. man, that would make sermon prep. Man, if I had that logos <laughs> package, yeah. right? I'm, stop <laughs> coveting logos packages, okay? Um, I, I know lots of people just hung their heads right there because um, yeah. <laughs> Logos 10 just came out. I didn't even get paid to advertise that. Uh, but anyway, uh, but it's true, right? Those would be, I think, the kind of the areas we talk about servant, right? Do we look at these things that other people have that God's blessed them with um, yeah. And, yeah. And, and covet that? And a great example that immediately comes to mind is, my goodness, how many people covet the fact that John MacArthur was given a nice watch? Yeah. Right. Right, I mean, right, right. we've we saw attacks, uh, yeah. and ultimately that whole thing um, it was just a display of covetousness. Yeah, right. Yeah. Jealousy over something someone else has that's nice, um, that's enjoyable, that brings a little bit of richness to their life. And so, whether it's the latest iPhone or you know it's the latest Logos package or books, yeah. you know, I think in our camp, yeah. Right. It could be a temptation to covet someone's library, mm-hmm. right? I don't think we think about that. Yeah. But yeah. those are the things because we value the information from good books, uh, that would be an area that we might be susceptible to. Yeah. And, and I think a helpful question to ask yourself, because you, you're right, you, you know, we, you know, whenever, um, whenever a pastor or a theologian shows a picture of his or her office, um, his office, one of the first things that people look at is the books, right? It's like, okay, what books do I see there on the shelves? And uh, and that, that'll that be the comments, especially within the reform camp. And it's done in fun. It's not, yeah. you know, I don't I don't see any um, behavior that uh, that would tell me, oh, you're guilty of the 10th commandment. So, but the question is, when does this become a, a 10th commandment uh, kind of violation? And again, we're, we're not we're not held under the penalty of the law anymore. These are just standards of God's righteousness revealed to us. And then I would say when when it comes to a point where you're no longer, where you feel you can't obey God's call to you unless you have that item, or you you make that the reason why you're not 
obeying God, right? Um, or if you start to um, feel like you should have that rather than that person, or if it starts to well up as bitterness that you don't have it and that person has it, or you start to make the obtaining of that thing more important than, for instance, providing for your family, yeah. um, paying your bills, right? Um, so there, there's always, and and coming from a technical background, there there's probably if there's probably very few Christians that are more technical than I am, that are more gadget oriented than I am. And and yet I can tell you that there are always more gadgets that you want, no matter how much you have, there's always more gadgets that you're going to want. And there's always that balance of like, okay, is this, and first of all, it's, it's never something that you absolutely need. It's something that's going to provide some extra benefit. It's something that's going to make things more convenient. But um, but is it starting to dominate your your life, your 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 thought patterns when you should be, for instance, doing sermon prep, yeah. when you should be counseling, when you should be doing this or that? So I think those are the kinds of questions we want to ask ourselves: is um, is is what what role is this taking in my mind? Is this starting to eat up kind of uh, to to use a technical term? Is this starting to eat up CPU cycles in my head um, when I should be spending more time thinking about the the things yeah. above? Yeah, I mean, really good points. And by the way, if you're zooming in on my bookshelf, these books right here are really amazing. <laughs> anyway, stop it. Um, but my, my books, my books are behind my computer, so I, yeah. I'm, I'm trying not to lead anyone to see. To come yeah, yeah, you're doing really well, making sure you don't lead your brothers into temptation. Yeah, especially um, the MacArthur commentary set that I've got. And oh, the, uh, oh Martin yeah. Lloyd Jones Roman set. Yeah, you don't want to show. Yeah, it. so you're just painting a verbal picture for us. <laughs> thanks, thanks, thanks. Um, yeah, but it's true, right? And so we, I, I think it, you know we talk about these things, and and people who are in our camps, uh, these are just ways we don't really sometimes recognize. And and I would I would even I, I liked your kind of litmus test uh, to gauge whether or not we're, we're crossing into something that's covetous. And and I would just say you know the the hint of that the the very first hint of that is when it just goes beyond that initial thought of, wow, that's a really nice new phone. That's kind of cool. I like the features, whatever. And, and then you go on about your day. Uh, w- w- when it starts becoming more than that, right, is when we should pull back and, and ask the question, maybe this thing is, for whatever reason, started to grip my heart a little more than it ought to. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I've definitely you know, I have definitely been guilty of coveting libraries. Um, I mean, you know, you, you see this library where a guy hits the button and the new wall opens up and it's yeah, all these right, Puritan books. Right. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, it's just cool. Um, and I think we have to leave it there. Right. Yeah. But you know, there's another, I think more, you know, kind of, this has kind of been lighthearted, although I think it's important we think about, but I think there actually is a far more dangerous way in which we covet technology. And and I actually am genuinely as a pastor, and you probably are too, deeply concerned about this. And it's how we covet the use of our technology more than relationship with others. Yes. How does that play out? Go to a restaurant and look around. And you'll find people love their devices more than they love their children, more than they love conversation with their families. That's when I think this gets really serious. What what are your thoughts on that? I'm sure you've seen that too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we human interaction is so crucial and especially within the church. Um, You cannot be a social, you cannot be a spiritual community um, without that social interaction. If you are a group of people that are constantly looking at your devices, then guess what? You're spending more time interacting 
with um within with a world of strangers than you are with people who are your fellow brothers and sisters yeah. at, at the local church and and this also plays out in the example that we give to children as well as the decisions we make with our children because more and more um even at very good churches um i came from grace community church it's an excellent church but even there um it's very common to look around and seeing kids who are sitting with their parents but they're sitting there with their tablets and if you were to kind of peek over at what's on their tablet they've got some sort of um children's game they've got something else other than trying to focus uh, upon the sermon at hand now if they've if they've got their tablet up and they've got some bible software great that <clears throat> i think that would be the right way to use um the tablet in a service um even better to have a bible but um i, I think this is one thing that we have to be very careful of because this is everywhere it's becoming the norm um where yeah. we spend more time um just interacting with strangers that we don't know than than people that we do know and for the church to really grow for people to really love one another and to care for one another and to build up one another and to pray for one another and yeah. to be there for one another um, you really have to build up that personal contact and uh, and get to know people understand what it is that they're going through one of the travesties um in, in the church um and i experience this i'm sure you do too it's it's when you discover with any church body how many problems require personal counseling right and and yet if you weren't there to do it no one else would do it mm -hmm. right and yeah. ideally i think when a church body really grows you want to get to a point where people know about each other like if someone's going to disappear on a trip for a few weeks and be away from the church someone else in the church should know that right i mean yeah. there, there should be close enough relationships where one person calls another and says hey i'm going on this trip just want to let you know i'm not going to be there rather than people just disappearing right uh, yeah. but that that happens a lot when we don't have those personal relationships and at the church that i'm at we've um, we've been this church was founded um, over 70 years ago so there there's a lot of people that have been there for quite a mm. while when i got there and uh, and it's sad also that you know even people in my own congregation who have been there for much longer than i don't know the names of other people who have been there equally as long as them yeah right so so this is where this this kind of culture of of um disconnection you know being disconnected mm -hmm. from people really takes over and yeah I, our devices are, are a big part of that yeah i mean it and, and i think that's just the I, I mean the covetous nature of fallen man right anything we can do to escape one another and to, to kind of isolate ourselves but it's just one of those ways where you know if you find yourself more interested in what's on your cell phone than the person in front of you you're you're coveting that more than the person in front of you and you know just to you know hit us all between the eyes so to speak um are 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 you coveting relationships that you have on twitter more than the people no. in your own congregation and in front no. of you no. it's a big thing and and look i'm i'm way out in the middle of nowhere alaska uh, i'm at the end of the road system uh far from everything and to be quite frank, uh, you know, Twitter is a wonderful resource just to connect with other human beings um, who are like minded for us. Mm -hmm. However, um, we can never, ever let that take uh, precedence over the people who are, are right here in front of us. Right. Once we've done that, you know, that's coveting. Um, it's a form of coveting, right? Yeah. And, and so we, neglect and neglecting. I'm your and your, neglect. Yeah, absolutely. You've, you've got yeah. You've got your priorities mixed up. Yeah, yeah. Um, so okay. So we, we talk about servants, and and then he goes on in the passage to talk about oxes and donkeys and things that we probably can in, include just everything else, whatever's yeah. left, right? I mean, these were uh, tools for their lifestyle, for their yeah. trade, for travel. Yeah. 
um, right? They were multi-purpose. And so you just think of everything else. And that's really the point is the the passage creates a holistic picture of really um, just any time you're discontent with what you have, right? That's exactly. You're at the line of covetousness. Right. Um, And it's a dangerous line. And I think, you know, when we think about discontentment, um, I I think sometimes if we had a better picture of what that really was, I I would tell people uh, when we're discontent in that moment, we really judge God as having withheld something we believe we ought to have. Right, right. That sort of ought to change our perspective. Yeah. Right. Um, And we've all been guilty of being discontent. Right. I, I mean, everyone's done it. Uh, we need to make just a little bit more money. We need a little better job. Our situation is not what we like it to be. Um, and and there can be some very real and understandable things in that. But but once we get to the place where we're just discontent in the implication is that we've really kind of judged God as n- not providing all that we need um, yeah. in, in, in that moment. Right. And, and that's something that we really need to repent of when we discover we've done that. Yeah, and the, the discontentment, um, when when we get to the point where we think that God hasn't given us what he ought to have given us, we start to take measures that um, are quite frankly sin- sinful. I mean, we, we start to make that kind of a dominating desire in our life to, to get that thing. And I'd, I'd mentioned uh, capitalism and how it produces this because capitalism is about keeping up with the Joneses. I'm not saying it, it's not it's not based on that, but that's what it produces uh, a lot of times now. I'm also not condoning socialism because socialism is really based upon this as well, right? I mean, you've got a lot of people that um, that believe that the rich shouldn't be rich and that they should give all of their wealth to to those um, who, who have little. And uh, I'm not here to debate um, the, the you know those government structures and whatnot, but in every human system, no matter what it is that you set up, you're going to see a form of this because man is sinful. Right, man is sinful, and he's going to pursue the things that he thinks uh, he wants or deserves. I think the Apostle Paul is a great example for us because when we look at, for instance, uh, Philippians chapter four, uh, Philippians chapter four, verse thirteen is one of the most uh, twisted verses in the New Testament. When Paul says, "I can do all things through Him mm-hmm. who strengthens me," we we know that. Yeah, um, a couple starting of few from, verses. Yeah, yeah, and 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 then, but if you go back to verse ten. You'll see that uh, that Paul goes on to say that he has learned, and it's, this says it says this right in four eleven. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity in every and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. So, in those two verses, from verse eleven and verse twelve. First, we uh, we see from the words of the Apostle Paul that this was something that he had to learn. He had to fight covetousness himself. So he had to learn to be content. And in verse 12, he refers to it as the secret of contentment in whatever circumstances mm-hmm. that he's in. Yeah. And that secret is revealed in verse 13 that God will strengthen us yeah. to do whatever he wants us to do, no matter what circumstance that he's in. And there's a related verse that I would connect to this, and that's um, 2 Corinthians um, let's see, Second Corinthians, and I want to say it's chapter 12. Um, yeah, Second Corinthians chapter 12. This is the thorn in the flesh, right? So you you go to um, starting in chapter 12, verse 7, Paul starts to describe this thorn in the flesh sent, uh, sent given to him um, as a messenger of Satan to torment him, but also given to him by God to keep him from exalting himself. And so three times in verse 8, he says, considering concerning this, I implored the Lord 
three times that it might leave me. And this is not to say he just mentioned it three times. These these were likely three long seasons of prayer of Paul pleading with the Lord to remove this thorn from him. Yeah. And if you can imagine the responsibility that Paul had and where he was going, um, you can already imagine Paul thinking, I need this to be removed from me in order to be more successful in ministry, in order to accomplish what you've accomplished, uh, what you've called me to accomplish. And he may even be thinking that he's praying in the Lord's will to have this removed. But verse 9, Jesus responds, my grace is sufficient for you. Mm-hmm. And that's basically Jesus Christ telling Paul, I am not going to do anything about that thorn because you are able to do what I've called you to do just based upon the grace that I've already given to you. And so this, I believe, is one of the ways yeah. that Paul has learned the secret. And that's the struggle for us. That's what we have to continue learning in this lifetime, that no matter what has been given to us, we want to find our contentment in Christ and Christ alone. Yeah, and I think, you know, the more we come to understand who God is and his character and his nature and, it, you know, his sovereignty and providence in our lives, um, it, it doctrine is so important, right? Because the more you come to understand those things, the easier it is to say, you know what, my life is so utterly and totally in God's hand that I can be content, though my senses say otherwise, I can be content knowing that God has me right where he wants me, and he's not yeah. withheld any good thing from me. Yeah. I, I may not understand it, but because I understand the doctrine, I can trust and have faith that that is true. Um, it, you know, you mentioned capitalism several times in socialism, and it's a good point, right? Um, it, this just comes back to people who love the truth. Um, Satan uses anything and everything that's good and that's evil um, to, to further his kingdom. We understand that. Um, uh, Satan uses capitalism to produce the sin of covetousness. That, that's yeah. just a reality. And then I would say socialism is a system built on covetousness, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the whole system is built around it. Mm-hmm. Um, so while Satan twists one and, t- and tempts the hearts of man, the other is just wholly built on it. And and I want to I want to talk about Paul for just a minute to add on to what you've said, and then maybe let's just end a little bit talking about the society that we live in today, um, because I think it is promoting at every stage. Be covetous. Be covetous. Uh, yeah. Want what you don't have. Think you deserve what you don't have. Um, and and it's sucking, it's creeping into the churches, right? But you mentioned Paul in that Philippians passage, and I, I want to go to 2 Corinthians. Um, and, and because here in the Philippians passage, Paul talks about how he's he's learned to be content in every circumstance. He mentions prosperity. Um, he mentions being hungry uh, yeah. and, and suffering need. Yeah. And, and just to paint a good picture of some of what that looks like, um, you go to Second Corinthians, and he gives a list. Right, this is the list of yeah. uh, just some of the things he's endured. And understand, in these things, he's saying he's learned to be content. Um, and most of us has probably never experienced uh, anything quite uh, this extreme, um, generally speaking. But Second uh, Corinthians chapter eleven. I mean, listen, Paul says five times I received from the Jews thirty nine lashes. Now. It just understands uh, this is lashes with a whip that undoubtedly yeah. would have ripped flesh off of his mm-hmm. body every mm-hmm. time. Five times he found himself content in that. Three times I was beaten with rods, he says. Once I was stoned, three times shipwrecked. 
a night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Um, apart from these external things, there is a daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. I mean, and then in Philippians, he says, right, for I have learned to be content yeah. in whatever circumstance I am. Yep. That, that's amazing. And then to add to that, that he had the thorn in the flesh and Jesus Christ would not remove it, right? On top of yep. all the other things that he has gone through. Yeah. And, and so, if we want to avoid the sin of covetousness, the, the key is to learn to be content. I, I, and that's the key, right? No matter what happens in your life, um, your house burns down. That's incredibly difficult, and, and we've got to deal with it. And there are, um, you know, there are appropriate sorrows and emotions in life. Um, but you know what? You can be content in that situation, knowing that in God's ultimate plan for you as a believer, Things are going to work out for his glory and for your good. And you may not see that. Yeah. Um, but like Paul, you can say, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, you're content. Um, it, this life is, it, it, it's a sin sick world. There's going to be mm -hmm. sorrow, right? Yeah. There's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. And we're going to feel like we don't deserve any of that. And, and sometimes we don't um, in, in, in those ways. And yet, because we trust that as children of God, he's working and using all of those things for our good and for his glory, we can learn not to covet what we don't have, right? If, if God takes away, you know, what we have, then like Job, you know, praise be to God. God's given, God's taken away. Um, and, and that's, I think, the right attitude, and that guards the heart from ever crossing over into covetousness. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I, I would just say, I, I think the entire Bible in many ways uh, provides so many pictures of this, even Old Testament Israel, you know, you think about, you know, Molech, right? I mean, uh, people wanted to sacrifice their children to Molech because they wanted to live promiscuous lives. People wanted to sacrifice to false gods because they desired what the nations had. Um, even when Israel finally wanted a king, they wanted a king because they wanted to be like all the other nations, right? So that too is really a lack of contentment with, with, with what God has provided. Even when you consider all the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant and, and the idea that it, as long as they were obedient to the Mosaic law, they would continue to be blessed. So we, we see that example all throughout scriptures. And, and I think really what it boils down to is this. When we think about um, covetousness being anything that leads to kind of a lack of contentment with what God has given to us, that 10th law ends up really expanding to include anything that we are not content with. Yeah. Um, anything that we desire aside from what, what God has already given to us. If we desire to have broken any other law, mm -hmm. then in the heart we have already we've already proven to be guilty of that that 10th law so even if yeah. you can look through those first nine laws and say i've done this i've done this i've done this but you look at yeah. that 10th law that 10th law is going to kill you yeah. um, because if you've even ever desired for any reason to break any of the other laws in your heart you're guilty of it all 
Yeah. And we're all guilty of that. And yes. I think that, and the reason I say, and just to sort of end on the importance of understanding culture, you know, I'm not interested in the culture war as such, and you're not either. What we're interested in is the truth. Um, and our culture right. now, you know, when we think of Marxism, socialism, uh, what we're not talking about is political ideologies. What we're talking about is worldly ideologies that are really founded upon um, breaking God's truths, going against God's word. Um, it, you know, our current culture basically says if you're uh, this, if you have this amount of melanin, um, then you really deserve what other people have. I, I mean, that's, that's just what it is, right? Our society right now is largely running on um, and appealing to the sinful covetous nature of man um if you look like this or if you did this or if you didn't do this then actually you know what you deserve what these other people have right that's covetousness and regardless of where anyone is politically you cannot look at that type of teaching and ideology and come to any other conclusion that my goodness what we're teaching people what's being promoted in our country um is be covetous and celebrate it, right? And demand it. Uh, it, it. You know what? It's just not fair that you Asians work so hard and you have all this stuff and I should have <laughs> yeah. what you have, right? Um, mm-hmm. b- because of my ancestors way back had this thing happen. Therefore, I deserve. That's covetousness. Like full-blown. And when when the government then engages in taking from people who have worked hard to earn to give it to another group of people saying that, well, it's not fair that they don't have it. That's covetousness, right? In practice, yeah. you have the government facilitating this. And I think it's incredibly dangerous in the church because here's, here's the reality. Nobody owes you anything, including yeah. God. Amen. Everything we have is a gift from God. Everything we have is a gift from God. That's right. You know, if if you grew up poor, if you grew up rich, that all fits in God's sovereign plan, and you don't deserve anything, and I don't deserve anything. And I think when we come to realize that, um, we can kind of combat this stuff. But, uh, you know, so the critical race theory, critical theory coming from the Frankfurt School and all of that is really just a system founded upon teaching and promoting a, a covetous lifestyle. W- wouldn't you agree with that? Yes, I, I would. And just um quick plug, um, I am being invited out to uh, Arizona to actually preach on this topic, um, the gospel uh, versus uh, the, the true gospel of the Bible versus the gospel of Marx. Um, that's uh, coming up on November 6th. But I absolutely do. Agree Where's it going to be at? Um, that's going to be at, um, I think it's called Redeemers. Uh, it's um, Greg Thornburg. If you guys know mm-hmm. Greg Thornburg, he's on Twitter. It's um, it's it's his church. Um I'll, I'll get um, I'll get some information out on Twitter, um, and we can maybe, maybe put it into the show notes. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, that'll be coming in the future. Yeah, go to that. Um, so, it, so this is an incredibly important uh, one to end on. I think it's a great one because, like you said, even if you have thought, well, if you've thought you haven't been guilty of any of the other nine, you haven't listened to the podcast. Um, but in case you have thought that, you get to this one, you discover that there's no way to escape this one. Um, yeah. and, and, and that's leads us to the, the good news, right? The bad news is that every single person has broken this commandment, um, that you don't deserve anything, although you think that you do, um, that we've coveted, we've desired those things which don't belong to us. 
Um, and ultimately, when we're discontent, we're 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 judging God. We've judged God in our hearts, though we may not use that terminology as being guilty of withholding what is good for us. And because of that, right, that sin, we deserve uh, the punishment of sin and wickedness, which is eternal life in hell, right? Eternal damnation. We become enemies in God in judging him. And that's what sin does. We live in our sin. We're an enemy of God. So what do we do about that? Is there any salvation for that? And this is why the law is good. The law is good because it demonstrates that we are in fact sinful and that we are in fact enemies of a good, holy, righteous God and that we deserve the penalty of death, right? The penalty of death, uh, the penalty of sin is death. Well, this is where the good news comes in, right? The good news is that God, for the salvation of all of those who he's called to himself through Christ Jesus, sent his only begotten son so that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And so Christ came and he bore the wrath of God in the uh, in, in our sin, bore the penalty of the wrath of God in his own body for our sake, so that whoever would repent of their sin, confess him as Lord and demonstrate that right in, in, in their life would be saved and have everlasting life. And that's the gospel, right? That we repent of our sin that Amen. we turn to Christ, we believe in him, and we're uh, saved from that penalty that Christ paid himself on our behalf. And then we live a life pursuing righteousness and holiness. We don't forget the Ten Commandments, um, right? They're good, and they constantly, and this, and this is why they're good after we're saved. They're good because they constantly point to our need for Christ, Right, they constantly Amen. point yep. to our um, our lack, our in insufficiency, um, and and cause us to look to and constantly recognize that we need Christ. We need Christ just as much after we come to Him as we did before. Nevertheless, yep. That's right. Any last thoughts there? Yeah, and Paul said, "My, uh, you know, that's what Jesus said to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. What is that grace? It's the salvation that He provided, and it's the gifts that He continues to provide Paul, including all the opportunities and everything that He has provided for Paul to be able to accomplish his ministry. And we have a great legacy from him just throughout the New Testament of um, of what he did for God as an example to us, as he said, follow me as I follow Christ.' So, um, Amen and Amen." Amen. Well, I hope that this has been helpful to you. It's certainly been good for us. You can, uh, if you'd like to contact us, you can find our details in the show notes. And by the way, we are now putting up these videos on our YouTube channel. And so you can uh, search for that. It's the Truth Be Known YouTube channel. Anyway, God bless you guys. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.